Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Roll Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, Hank Bugler, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. You would think after 17 years of addressing the issues, Hank and I would have them all solved, but I think there's one or two yet to work on. What's up in White Pine County, Nevada? Oh, gosh, just rain every day and the grass is green and everything is just coming up peachy keen <laughs> that's not the normal rancher at- attitude it's always greener on the other side of the fence than yours well it must be somewhere green but boy it's not around here it it's unbelievable in the morning first of all there's no frost on the windows because there's no moisture in the air to make frost oh wow and then the valleys are just full of dust it looks like fog yeah, we had that yesterday, actually, Hank. We're we're supposed to be in extreme high wind warnings again today. Uh, and yesterday, the dust was blowing so hard from the north because we we're, we're now drought too, and the dust is blowing so hard from the north. It looked like a snowstorm. Wow, unbelievable. Unbelievable. High, high wind warnings, extreme fire danger today in central Nebraska. That's the prediction. Well, and we've been trying to work these sheep, and I'm just scared to death. They're all going to get pneumonia because they're, they got to just absolutely be full of dirt. Right. Yeah, and they say there's no sick, such thing as a sick sheep, which is harder to say than I anticipated. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> uh, well, they do get sick. They get about anything that anything else does. But we got them all trimmed up. The last of them are going to yeah. Bakersfield, uh, California on Friday. And... But you don't seem to re- comprehend what I said. Of, of course, sheep get sick like every other living thing, including plants. But... The the moral of the story was that it's hard to treat a sheep because once they get sick they die. So there's no such thing as a sick sheep because they die. They don't just get treated. True or false? Well, but isn't that what happens to about every species? Maybe they're maybe they don't have as much tolerance as other animals, but we treat them. Uh, we try and take care of them. We do everything we can to keep them from getting sick. But when they uh-huh. do get sick. They just don't seem to have, uh, I don't know, resistance. And then the next one, uh, you, <laughs> it can get sick and, and, and wander around for a long time. So, I, yeah, I think that's just a misnomer. I think, it's, it's like anything. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I have used that we just went through that don't have a tooth left in their head. Yeah. And they're not as old as the sheep right behind it. Who has a good solid mouth? Uh, we have sheep that get bad bags, mastitis, uh, blue bag, whatever you want to call it, and they're young. And then here's an old grandma, no teeth, uh, got a soft bag, uh, correct teeth formation, nice bag. And so uh, I guess that's kind of Darwin's theory, isn't it? You eliminate the the weak among you. So. Uh, knock on wood, it doesn't seem like after years and years and years of culling everything that has those issues, 
we're kind of breeding longevity, hopefully, into the animals. Uh, and we're breeding ones that, that just have a natural resistance to the bacteria that causes them to have mastitis. So, in a way, uh, it's an experiment with nature that na- Mother Nature has been dealing with for a gazillion years. Mm. So, uh, but what the I heard wild you, sheep. What I heard it, you say in that. Thing. What, I, what I heard you say in that is that I, I only know how to handle sheep, and I don't know how easy it is to fix a sick hog or even a calf compared to a sheep. Uh, we have cats that get sick, but it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. The animals, uh, oh, by the by, some humans come down with COVID and get extremely sick yeah, and tip true? over. And then other, <laughs> uh, so in a sterile environment, in a cement jungle, uh, and every time you come in, you got to wash your hands and, and, and cleanliness is super, super, super. Maybe you are more susceptible to certain things because you get no inoculation, no natural inoculation from all of this stuff. Don't yeah. know. Uh, like what is the repercussions going to be? I think about this every day. I talk about it. Who knows? What are the repercussions going to be of people using hand sanitizer every three minutes? Uh that is a direct antibacterial that kills germs. Are you telling me you don't accidentally get that in your mouth on a regular basis? It doesn't ooze into your skin? I mean, they are on us like uh, stink on you know, odor. <laughs> about white on your, rice. Try white on rice. <laughs> white on rice? That sounds racist. There's brown rice too, Hank. Like brown on rice and uh, <laughs> about utilizing antibiotics to keep animals healthy. They say we overuse them. We don't, but they try to se- tell us that they do while they're running, ha- rubbing hand sanitizer on their hands. You can't do now, that. I don't believe so. Now, if you're in a situation where there's an obvious reason, I could understand that. And I could understand maybe somebody in the medical profession would have more of a reason to use it, but I don't think that the general public bathing in that stuff are doing themselves any good. I mean, what is the statistics of farm kids getting E. coli? They're uh, continually getting inoculated. Yeah, I know one, actually. Well, I'm, well, I'm sure there is. There always yeah, is. But There's always- I, I know hundreds of thousands of farm families and people. And I know one. That's it. Yeah, I know none. I, I've never met anybody that uh, that was raised in a rural area with rural conditions that came down with about half of these things. They right. just, you know, your immune system doesn't get challenged. <clears throat> and if it doesn't get challenged, it's not going to do anything. Yeah. Well, you talk about E. coli one five seven eight seven. Are you sure that COVID's any different? The our rural folks, our rural folks getting. COVID at the same rate as the city counterparts? I don't think so. I don't think so either. And I'm not even so sure that if you cough, sneeze, or look crossways, that somebody goes, COVID, 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 and they statistically build that up, uh, make it more sensational than it really is. I, I, you know, so. (laughs) I, um, it's just. 
Animal husbandry has always been the same. And maybe that's why the wild sheep, when you stress them through predation, weather or other things, have less resistance. Uh, they've been, uh, that's just the nature of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas domestic sheep, to me, you're constantly culling out the weak ones. You're culling out the ones that don't fit the program by, uh, having a susceptibility to, to, uh, mastitis, to other things. So you continually take them out and you keep the healthy, the strong, and the ones that have longevity. It's, it's just a natural selection. Yeah, it's amazing actually, like the wild sheep or any wild animal that's not under human management. Um, you would think that the ones that survive would be immune to everything because they have no artificial selection criteria. You know, they, they don't have a, a pole that everybody thinks is absolutely fantastic. So we have to keep that one. It's survival of the fittest at its purest. You would think they would just be resistant to every single thing possible. Well, I think that it's all male bovine fecal matter mm, anyhow. I do too. What they did, uh, did you ever see a picture of Teddy Roosevelt hunting? Yes, I did. His hunting pictures? I actually I've hunted, seen a lot. I hunted with him once in 1906. Oh, really? Huh. How come you didn't invite me? <laughs> <laughs> it's roll route. Hank Vogler along for another bully pulpit experience we're going to talk about that time i hunted with teddy roosevelt we were hunting bear in yellowstone that year we'll be back with more we're all out right off the bat today we want to talk about lone creek cattle company and the opportunity to be a part of a brand of beef program i know that i remind you of this on a daily basis but maybe it's the first time that you really had a chance to pay attention you look at those piedmontese cattle and you think man that's just not what we want to do We've been told that marbling is vitally important, and I'm not discrediting marbling. I think it's huge when it comes to the U.S. beef sector and our niche in the world. But as far as niches in the United States and the global marketplace, certified Piedmontese is exported around the world. It's all about tenderness. And so there's not one way to to, uh, crumble the cookie. There's many ways. And what the Lone Creek Cattle Company Certified Piedmontese way is, is to identify the Piedmontese cattle that perform for the cattlemen and reward the consumer with an enjoyable eating, tender eating experience. Get details about being a part of this system where you get paid properly for the value that you add to the beef industry at www.LoneCreekCattleCo.com. Welcome back to Roll Route, Trent Luce, alongside Homo Sapiens Shepardero Hank Vogler, who has, by the way, survived. He is a survivalist of the fittest. He's survived two things that only one in a million survived. That makes him one in ten million, according to my math. Um, Colorado, last week, I want you to weigh in on this because you live it. Colorado, we talked about, has a ballot measure to what they are calling... Barb is not going along with the reintroduction of the wolf. What do you think about just turning a predator loose for no good reason whatsoever in the public? Well, first of all, it's to eliminate public land grazing. I mean, there can't be any other reason for it, uh, especially sheep. You know, they have so oversold the 
part about wild sheep and domestic sheep ne- never never touching each other because I mean it's sort of like if they walk by. In fact, the head of the sheep department or the Nevada Department of Wildlife came to our wool growers meeting and said that they would pay us to get out of the sheep business. And I said, well, how how you know aren't you scared to come in here? I mean, if you go out and get near a sheep after being around a sheep, or won't you want all your sheep die? I mean, is it that sensitive? You know, we had sheep on us, wild sheep, that just came in here from because they're wild, and they didn't die. Hank, Hank so uh, uh, I, I don't want to take s- over the wait, range. I, I don't want to skim over this. The, the director of the Nevada Department of Wildlife said that he would like not the director. He he was the, he's the he's the head biologist for. Uh, Wild sheep okay, and that, stuff like that. This makes it worse. He's a head biologist, which is supposed to be based in science, over wildlife for the state of Nevada, and he says that he would buy, rather buy you out than you being out there. Why? Yep. Uh, because they have not been able to kill the last 12 of us off, I guess. But there is no uh, scientific uh, and, validation... And that the domestic sheep pose a threat to... It's the same thing. I, I, I went through this with the servant folks. When people have elk behind a fence and they're farming and raising elk on a farm, they convince the general public that those elk somehow pose a threat to the deer and elk that are in the wild. How, how can this possibly be? These are the animals that are managed. These are the animal, animals that have to be under care and human stewardship or they're going to die so how can this possibly be there's nobody can be rooted in science that believes that it's competition it's it's like the wolf it's like all of those things it has nothing to do with science it has you know it's sort of like uh, their version of global warming you throw out the term global warming and if you live in white pine county you can probably get some people that'll That'll say it must be driest it's ever been here in white man's uh, lives. Nobody ever remembers. I guess in thirty four and thirty five it was very dry here. But it, so you okay? You could sell that. Well, a few years ago when we had three feet of snow and it was forty below zero every night and the wind blew, uh, I guess you could probably have sold the theory of global freezing or, or global winter or whatever you wanted to call it. I mean, so pick pick a. Pick a choice, but the environmentalists, all these groups that have come up ever since NEPA, National Environmental Protection Act or whatever that is, it is a terrorist act on people who for years and years and years have used the public domain for part of their operation in the West. And reintroducing wolves uh, right now just with the coyote alone, I'm short one truck load of sheep since we docked. And we're a big truck. We're talking about a big 550 truck. Li- uh, 550 sheep. Yeah. So if they, at that time, they were worth about a dollar twenty. They've, they're not very valuable this year. They weighed about eight. The average of the sheep this year was down ten, almost ten pounds. Uh, so if you take that, I had stolen from me. Uh, just a second. I'm doing some cowboy math here. Yeah. That's 520 times it, 80, they, 80 they pounds. They stole 50, $52,800 worth. Yeah, 52800 
more or less dollars from me by the fact. And, and if I could have just cut that in half, that would have been enough to pay for the pasture for those sheep at San Jacinto. Uh-huh. So if you own a business and somebody came in every day for six months and stole a tank of gas from you, yeah. and you know, I mean, use anything you want, a grocery store, a candy right. store. Uh, a parts store and somebody stole that much from you, you know, uh, that's a cost of doing business and, but it is preventable. And by the by, when you keep your predator numbers down, mm-hmm. it helps deer, elk and everyone. I was a kid and they had an effective treatment for the removal of predators and they blew that one up, and uh, Richard Nixon, trying to placate the Democrats to get out of Watergate, gave them that one too, and and they took it away, and the deer herds have plummeted. All the, the sage-grouse are now headed for the endangered species list, where whereas before that they were everywhere. Fawn recruitment was huge. Uh, all of these things are a result of environmental terrorists, and that's what they are. And reintroducing the wolf in Colorado is nothing more to remove, first of all, public land grazers. And then right behind that, uh, you, what, you think the wolf, gee, we don't have any sheep to eat. They're all gone. We don't have any wildlife to eat. Oh, there's some kids on a picnic, 4-H or something, or, or, or some church picnic, like the little kid that got killed in Colorado by the cougar. Nobody wanted to talk about that. You're on their food pyramid, boys and girls. Grizzly bears, all of those things were not only limited to protect livestock, but to protect bins. Sadly enough, today's person, I'm not talking about every person, I'm talking about too many people, would care more about if it was going to get their pet than it was if it was going to get a 4-H kid. But your puppy is on the pet predator's list, too, if you haven't checked the predator. Oh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> my wife has houses in Las Vegas <laughs> and all over the streets in a gated community are puppy missing, dog missing yeah. everywhere. I believe you know, now, is there some sort of an epidemic of people stealing foo-foo dogs? COVID. No. COVID's but, getting them. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Somebody took a picture of this coyote jumping the fence with fluffy in his mouth. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. And they also had a, they've got, they found mountain lions wandering the streets and eating dogs and dog food and every, you know, the predators are going to move. They're not going to volunteer to starve that. Oh, our territory is only on the United States Department <laughs> of Agriculture. By golly. And I'm not going down in that city. I'm starving to death and I ain't going down there. By golly. Uh-huh. I'll stand up here on the floor service. You bet. <laughs> yeah, you actually think just like a cougar. Well, hey, <laughs> Mr. Luce, and I have said this before, and you pay attention one time, please. All right, once. Just once. If I fail, if I fail, if I do not do enough things right, if I do not make the payment to El Bancadero, and old banker tougher and all calls me up and says, okay, sweetie pie, bring your dolls and dishes to town. The party's over. You did not figure out how to survive under the present circumstances. Have a nice day. 
The only reason most of us are still in business is we can borrow more money hoping for a better day tomorrow against our land because people want to escape to the cities and people with money want to buy hunting properties. They want to live on, on we own a ranch in Nevada, you know, <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're out there. Oh gosh, we're pushing the envelope and you know, we take care of the predators and we love all the animals. Well, okay. Here comes the environmental movement. California's on fire. Oregon's on fire. Washington's on fire. Why? They killed the timber industry. The spotted owl. I hunted for years with the father of the spotted owl, Andy Kerr's dad, and his uncle, Keith and Vernon Kerr, two old uh, World War II guys. And, and Andy sired by Vernon. And we used to drive through the woods when we thought it was a joke, elk hunting. And here'd be a big old deck of logs <clears throat> heading to a mill, providing labor for dozens and dozens of people, supporting small rural towns. We'd drive by these big old decks of logs, Vernon would be in the car, and we'd go, Andy ain't going to like that. <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean, and it, now it's gone. It's roll route. We've got to take a break. We'll be back with more <laughs> Hank Booger from his rant. In White Pine County, Nevada, where he loves the animals. (laughs) And the stand of Paxson County, the movie on Netflix. If you have not watched it, I strongly encourage you to watch this Forest Films presentation. It's on Netflix, the stand of Paxson County. People are still shocked that I'm actually in it. Details. No, no details. Just go to the Netflix some evening. Takes an hour and 40 minutes. It illustrates the challenges in animal ownership today. The stand at Paxton County. Welcome back to Roll Route. Trent Luce alongside Hank Vogler. Uh, do you prefer I use Vatrol, Draxon, or Resfler Gold? I'm worried about you getting pneumonia well, because you've been out hanging with the sheep. And I want to treat you properly. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll, I'll probably be all right, but I got a lot of dust in my throat. And of course, talking about my favorite subject, the failure of the environmental movement. Oh, I, I thought dust in I your just... throat was your favorite subject. <laughs> no, I don't even <laughs> want to think about it. We're one day closer to hey, the rain. How can that it. dust get in so many different places of your ears? That's what I want to know. I don't know. That's so your mother could check your ears when you're a little kid and then get out that old <laughs> stiff wash rag and just ream them out and make you want to wet your pants. <laughs> All right. But anyhow, the failure of the environmental movement is costing this country billions of dollars, billions of dollars in good paying jobs, managing forests as they should be managed, just like a wheat field. Oh, and you can't say that. Oh, that's against Mother Nature. Well, where did wheat come from? Did it fall out of the sky out of some white European when he came here? Probably. But we also took corn back to Europe and potatoes back to Europe and tomatoes back to Europe. So there's always been genoplasm around the world. You know, once we were Pangea, maybe it was the perfect deal. Well, I think those people starved to death on a regular basis also. So we... Learned how, because we're the smart animal, how to make things better. And one of those was eliminating predators, uh-huh. managing forests, sustained yield, all of these things. 
environmental movement comes along and says, just like the deal, racist, racist, racist. To me, it's like a little kid, the fairy tale about the little kid that kept crying wolf. He got lonely out there herding sheep by himself, so he kept crying wolf. Well, same thing. These people have cried wolf for all these years. The Democrats have done it with the Africans. or not, They're not Africans. They're from Alabama and all over the United States. Right. People of color. They've depended on them to get them voted into office. And somebody woke up finally and said, hey, these guys don't do anything for us. Just every four years or every two years, we go vote for them religiously, 90-some percent of us. And they get reelected. They feather their nest. Nothing happens. It's the same way with the environmental movement. Everybody's scared to death of them. Everybody's scared to death to do anything. So now the greatest growth industry in the West is fire, burning the country, which Mother Nature is going to do that. If you replicate Mother Nature and you thin those forests and you put livestock in those forests, and if you take that old decadent porky top timber out and remove it, but now adding wolves to the situation is not going to help anything or anybody. And where are you, you know, you bring the wolves out of Canada. Well, uh, there are different things in Canada that are, that, uh, they have a resistance to different diseases just like here. We did it with the wild sheep. When people came west to come to the mines, people followed them to feed the miners. The guy that sold the picks and the shovels to the miners made more money than the guy that hit it rich percentage wise. Same thing. So we had professional hunters. Do you think they had fair chase? No, they took dogs and Teddy Roosevelt took dogs and they bayed up those animals. Then they walked up and shot them. And, and at that time, that was acceptable. That was an acceptable way to hunt. We don't do that anymore, but we don't have the wildlife. Why? Because we let the environmentalists control the situation and we used to limit the number of predators that were out there. Because there's a predator-prey relationship. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it doesn't that, even make good sense. Well, that in itself is what people don't understand at the base. Predator-prey relationship. Period. So, again, uh, and, 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 and their, their information is so archaic. They point to the fact that Roosevelt was very proud of the Kayabab genetics of mule deer in the southwest mm -hmm. and he went on a rant to eliminate predators i mean they mobbed in there they took out every lion they could find anything that ate a deer was mucked out well then the deer population exploded imagine that and the uh, next thing you know they had a bad year or two and they had a huge die-off so to this day they show pictures of this huge die-off in the 1920s mm -hmm. well we have people that will hunt we have people that will open roads. We have other ways of limiting that. But the thing that they never talk about is even with that big die-off that they had, all of a sudden, the fawn recruitment was 40%, 50% of the surviving animals. And within a couple of years, we used to have in the sage-grouse, they used to get these big old pus pockets under their wing pits or their legs and all over them. And, and, and they're susceptible to uh, worms. They have problems. They would die off. So instead of being able to shoot six a day and 12 in possession in a 30-day season, they knocked it back. But the recruitment was huge. This is an industry that's being destroyed. 
in front of us by the environmentalists, by the anti-gun people. They, you, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, they, they use all this. I mean, everything, it's just twisted. Let's turn this around. I've never done this, but let's turn this around. What is better? What improves in the uh, ecological health of the, the state of Colorado with the introduction of the wolf? What does the Nothing. wolf make better? There is not more one baby thing. wolves. There's not one no, single more baby thing wolves. in the ecology that is improved by the wolf being there. No, no. The wolf is at your door, and that wolf is the Antifas, the Black Lives Matter people who want to drive everybody into submission. You know, if you want to take over the world, I don't care how smart you are, how many guns you've got, but when your belly button is banging into your backbone, you're in trouble. That is just a given. And if you can destroy agriculture, and we're down to what? A half a percent produce 80% of the production? Mm-hmm. Well, if the wolf takes out the sheep, oh, no big deal. That's wolf uh, versus lamb, you know. PETA, PETA is putting a statue up in Haley, Idaho, <laughs> of of a guy shearing a sheep because they say that she, the people who shear sheep brutalize the animal. Well, if I see one of my sheep come out of that shearing parlor all cut up, we have a long conversation real quick, and if that guy doesn't get his gear straightened out or his attitude straightened out, he ain't shearing no more sheep for me, period, end of story. That's stupid. But PETA is going to put up a statue at the trailing of the sheep in Idaho. It's our, the, 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 the contract has already been let, and I don't know if they're going to show the cut in the throat. Or, I mean, it's just ridiculous. I'd rather die than wear wool, the poor animal that's being shorn. Well, they've only been shearing sheep for 10,000 years and making clothes and making things better for people. So they're anti-people, all of them. And they have hit a lick, and they get people to send them, guess what, not baby sheep, not baby calves. They get them to send them money, and they drive around in beamers and that one guy that was a wildlife federation, he's driving around a chauffeured limousine because idiots were sending him money to destroy agriculture. <laughs> yeah, but that's how you control uh, people. Okay, but at the core, you just contributed to the problem because they really Uh-oh. don't care about shearing sheep. What they care about is no. making news so that people get more awareness to what they're doing so that people will send them money. And you just did Bingo. what everybody in American agriculture does, is whine about what they're doing and giving them all the publicity possible in doing it. Well, then just put another black mark by my name. But if somebody <laughs> doesn't tell everybody what's going on yeah. and get people mad, and when they see uh, that... I understand, uh, but there's got to be a better way. Conservancy. Yeah, there's got to be a better way. And it's not reintroducing predators. There's right. no... Uh, you know, I'm sure if you have a bunch of elk wintering on your haystack, there's other ways to cure that there is. Than, than introducing than wolves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they tell me that around Yellowstone Park, the elk will quit bugling because if they bugle, the wolf the comes. Wolves can zero in on them, you know. It, it, and I was in Canada in the Northwest Territory on the Arctic Circle. And when we shot, the first thing that we did is somebody went on bear watch because the grizzly bears have been protected in Canada, in the Northwest Territory, 
And the first thing we did is put somebody on bear watch because as far as those guides were concerned, firing your rifle was ringing the dinner bell for a grizzly. And if one was in the area, he was coming. Yeah. Because he, he knew he was going to get the sheep or a gut pile or something. Because they're protected. You had to be a citizen of Northwest Territory, and you could take one grizzly bear in your lifetime. So they were, for whatever reason, I mean, it's, when you go in and get to take your animal in to get scored and to get checked out so you can leave Canada, right on the wall it says, you know, how many hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars comes into the Canada through hunting. And they're mm. protecting predators. They've drank the Kool-Aid, too. I don't, I don't think 2020 will have that same economic effect because my friends that live in Montana on the border, North Dakota, they, they can't even get into Canada. So I'm thinking if you're a hunter, you won't be able to get into Canada this fall, huh? I guess not. Probably not. And that's got a, some of those smaller places, Norman Wells, you know, all those right. places are going to be affected by that. Well, I would think that the same effect would have been felt all summer because there's always a lot of, uh, Americans go to Canada fishing all summer. They should have yep. been yep. feeling this effect, but but I don't know. I mean, I I talked to a guy over the weekend who was trying to get there to see his kids, and he spent what did he tell me five days in in interrogation just to get in to see his two sons. Yeah. Well, think about trade. All of those things are going to affect the economy. Yeah. And at some point in time, we're going to pay for it. And now we're going to pass an, uh, probably another trillion dollars worth of, of uh, incentive to stay on uh, unemployment insurance. How can well, we keep doing that? Well, as long as nobody says, whoa. As I long said, as nobody whoa, says, a long we, time ago. Roll route. Well, you haven't that said it loud in, enough. That was a pun intended. I said it's time to whoa. We got to go. One segment left. And it's now time to talk about Neogen. Neogen is shining a light on your genetic future. Well, only if you use the technology. Taking a look at the genomics present in the parent seed stock is absolutely essential today to eliminate the challenges that we have. We need to know exactly what we're... When you're using genetics, there is no exact. But what you're doing is eliminating the outliers that are going to set you back. So, for example, with our boars, we look at what meat quality is going to be. We look at what the performance, their efficiency, their leanness is going to be and put that into a selection criteria to eliminate the ones that are going to regress our program. That's what Neogen does. Gives you the opportunity to move forward. No more regression. Get details about shining a light on your genetic future at Neogen.com. I think I yelled too loud. Welcome back to Roll Out. There's no such thing as yelling too loud. Hank Bogler alongside. We are at a tipping point right now, Hank Bogler. I, I have I so that. many people from a, a business standpoint that are just, they're either packing it in or they have fought it as long as they can and it's just over. You cannot. I mean, Andrew, uh, on this morning across the pond, Andrew talked to a guy in the, the UK that is the largest UK uh, business for selling plane tickets. 85% off of normal. And I think that's representative of all business. 
unless you own one of the big box stores that contributes millions of dollars to the Democrats that deliver stuff to your house who have become wealthy in 2020, not, not become wealthy, have become more wealthy in 2020. But everyday businesses, coast to coast, right now, they're at the tipping point. Whether they make it or not is probably dependent upon the next two weeks, three weeks. And I guess the only thing that we could possibly do is put together history for them. Look what happened in Russia. Yes, there was a, there was a, a, a king and queen or an emperor, whatever you wanted to call him. They killed them all. They killed the businessmen. They starved when the Ukraine said we want to be on equal footing with the Russians. Stalin went in and killed them all, starved them to death, took their food away from them. They didn't have guns, couldn't protect themselves. Mao, 50 million, maybe even 100 million people died of either starvation or just flat shot. Anybody that owned over three acres, any rancher, farmer, whatever, dead. Businessmen, people people uh, with a different idea about life than the Marxist communist. And we're introducing that in country. When Khrushchev took off his shoe and said and beat it on the desk at the United Nations, uh, he was right. By the way, you know, do you know what uh, day that was? Uh, I just remember it. I was a little kid, and 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 he's beating his shoe on the deal, and, and it seemed so ludicrous at the time because we were the strongest nation on earth, and and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And the uh, the what you can. Say conspiracy or not, but there had to be some reason. Mm-hmm. We had the atomic weapon. But well, Why well, didn't before we, we get away from that, do you know what day that was? Uh, you know, I think it was in the fall of, of uh, about nineteen sixty something, nineteen sixty three, sixty four. October twelfth, nineteen sixty. Today's October twelfth. Wow. Yeah. Well, Nikita. Good job. <laughs> you were right one time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, today's the anniversary of that. 1960. I'll be done. 60 years ago this very day. You were a little kid. I was 11, so. You probably weren't uh, a little kid at 11, but still, you were a little kid mentally. <laughs> I had my first job when I was 11. My mother took me to town after I got my check and made me. Buy school clothes, and so to this day, that's why I'm such a clothes horse. <laughs> and uh, I had enough <laughs> money left over after buying my school clothes uh, to go to Ranch Supply in Burns, Oregon. And Bud Ashelby sold me a 243 Remington Winchester uh, rifle that was new on the market, a box of shells. He threw in a, a, a sling and threw in a, a carrying case. And I still had some money left over, so I walked across the street to the U.S. National Bank of Oregon with the gun in tow and went into the bank. And everybody in the bank wanted oh, let, and let me a four-power loophole scope. Yeah. Everybody in the building was, oh, man, this is that new 243. Wow, wow, wow. Let me see that. Oh, four-power Leopold scope. Wow. You know, it was hunting season. Everything was coming up roses. Yeah. So, and now, Bud Ashelby would have gotten life in prison for selling an 11-year-old kid a gun. Uh, I would have been dropped by a SWAT team before I got across the street. 
and the alarm would have went off in the bank, and I would still be sitting in Charlie Manson's cell. I mean, that's the difference in, in 1960 when Khrushchev was pounding on the desk. Yeah. And that was the reason that Tojo said we're not going to invade the United States because there's a gun behind every blade of grass. Mm-hmm. It's not my being able to pontificate with the First Amendment. It's the Second Amendment. Right. Is the only reason that we still haven't been completely taken over by socialism, even though so, it has crept into every portion of our lives. Is there one impetus behind the difference in walking into a bank with a, a gun today versus 1960? When did it flip? There had to be something that caused that. Uh, the sensationalism of, of uh, the... News media banging on the door when somebody got shot. People have been getting shot ever since they vetted the firearm. Well, before Uh, the firearm, they're still getting killed. I mean, it isn't the firearm that kills. It's the person that kills. I don't know if you've ever heard that. It's the mitochondria that's in all of us. It's the seven deadly sins. One of them is jealousy. You know, all of those things cause us to overreact sometimes. And, uh, you know, we do bad things to other people. <laughs> You're not going to prevent it. If you take the, I think one of the biggest mass murders was in Russia. And the guy used a knife. Right. So and then that one guy in the nursing homes, he's just putting everybody to sleep. Yeah. Uh, in the hospital. I mean, there's there's more methods to killing people. You know, uh, how many people starve to death in, in, by different means? They didn't line them all up and shoot them. In China, they let them starve. Uh, they did kill the intellectuals. They did kill the farmers and the business people and all of that. Total submission. And what could those people do about it? They bought into the revolution. Remember, boys and girls, you can vote yourself in to be a Bolshevik, but you got to shoot your way out. That's why they want to take your guns away. I saw a picture of one of my cousins in full native Indian costume. Or sort of, so to speak, he had a pistol and a rifle laying across. He hanging on the pistol and the rifle, and it says, "If your government says you don't need a gun, you need a gun." <laughs> Boy, isn't that the truth? That's spot on. Yep. So again, we it's incrementalism. For 40, 50 years, why did you bother with the Republican? They had no power. They were always, they were the ones that talking to Biff and Buffet at the branch about their Nevada ranch. You know, Baron Hilton had one in Yarrington that Harry Reid bought and gave it to the Department of Recreation and left the water in the Walker River. <laughs> I mean, just stuff like that. A lot of Nevada ranches. But the bottom line is, You've got to have uh, something besides what we've got because people sacked up the money, no matter how insane it sounded in 1960. They took the money. They gave it to the Democrats. Maybe there were some of them that were true believers. But Joe Biden's family is filthy rich by getting favors. His son got $3.5 million here. He got a billion and a half dollars from the Chinese. All this money came in as a result of his name and his position his father had to buy influence. 
So we've been in peddling influence from day one. The word lobbying came when Ulysses S. Grant used to slip over to a hotel to have a cigar and a drink from the White House. And he met these people in the lobby that wanted favors from him. And so that's where the word lobbying came from, in the lobby of this hotel. So we've done this to ourselves, but nobody bothered with the Republicans. And so now the Republican Party has completely switched. It used to be Biff and Buffy at the brunch. Now it's the working people that have been booted out and the small farmers who have been booted out, who have no mm -hmm. influence. You've got to be an LGBTQIOT or whatever you are to do that, or you've got to be a knee taker. You've got to have some quirky deal because that's where you sent the money because the Democrats could get stuff done because they'd take the bribes. They'd take the money, maybe not in their name, but in their kid's name, in their uncle's name, or, or in some trust. Uh, as soon as they got out of office, they got, they got the payoff. I mean, all that crap. That's what's gone on. And now the people are revolting, and the people that are the insiders, the elitists, the swampies, they're mad. And they're going to punish us, each and every one of us, if they can. And introducing the wolf is just one more way to punish us. Uh, yeah, you're wrong, though. Okay. Finally. I don't think I've ever been able to say Have I ever said that in 17 years? <laughs> About every time we talk. Um <laughs> The term lobby, the, the concept is spot on, and, but there was a gentleman by the name of William Irving who was the original lobbyist in the United States in 1810 is when they began using that term lobbying. Really? Yeah. Well, I blew And it started it. in the state told. houses of northeastern United States. He would He was paid... Oh. Uh, this was a definition of a lobbyist at the time. Employed to advocate by extraneous extraneous influence. Okay. All I know is I read that Ulysses Grant, who liked his cocktails and liked mm -hmm. his cigars, he was in there for eight years, and evidently he couldn't get liquored up enough or couldn't get a good cigar, or he just wanted to get the heck out of the White House. I can't imagine why. Would walk across the street to a hotel and in the lobby, people would buttonhole him about, you know, yeah. doing this favor or that favor. And so that, and you just said the state houses. I right. mentioned the federal government. So I, I will, I will, I will submit to your uh, correctness, but you've got to throw me a little tiny bone. I'm betting that, um, the, the, he was the first president lobbied. Maybe the first ah, person probably. in DC. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So Just let me wet my beak. I don't have to be a hundred percent correct. As John Kernan used to tell my my grandfather in his Irish brogue, I'll tell you right now, Henry. I don't have to be a hundred percent right. Just fifty one percent. That's all I'm asking for. Just that fifty one percent. And we have one hundred percent lobbied down the road, connecting rural and urban America. It is Roll Route for another week on behalf of Hank Vogler. Doesn't know whether he's German, Irish, or American Indian. He'll figure it out at one point in time. <laughs> Maybe he's a little Basque. Have a great week. All roads do lead to a Roll Route.
Once again, reminding you that we use the Neogen technology to identify the myostatin gene in all of our certified Piedmontese calves. You need to know exactly what you're getting. Lone Creek Cattle Company has established a program that verifies with a low-cost test. It's just a simple little tissue test. You know exactly what's going on with your cattle genomically. Get more details about both on the web, LoneCreekCattleCo.com and Neogen.com. See you tomorrow.